Well, good morning, church family. I love, Tanya and I love being a part of the Antioch family, and it is indeed family. Uh, uh, we, the Carpenter family, have learned so much uh, from this Antioch family. We try to adopt a lot of things that uh, Jimmy and Laura teach here, and, and so we try to emphasize uh, family dynamics in our own home, and so we have family time, just like Jimmy talks about here, and we call it the family room, just like Jimmy calls this the, the family room, and, and, but I add one more. We have what's called family discussions, okay? So we say it's going to be family discussion time. My kids always say, how long is this family discussion time going to last, okay? So we're going to have a family discussion, and it's going to be about 37 minutes. Is that okay? Long enough. So as long as they know my kids, they know the end of it, then they're good. So you know the end is coming. So have a little family uh, discussion time. Now, uh, we have been discussing over this year uh, this series we call union, communion, and partnership. So we've been emphasizing this word of unity uh, throughout uh, this year. And so we're going to take a little detour, but it's related, but not directly related uh, today. Uh, We're going to talk today about prayer and fasting, okay? And the reason for that, all right, glad somebody's excited about that. The reason we're doing that is on, because Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, as a family, we're going to have a time of prayer and fasting together. And so we're going to take time for the next three days, seek the Lord together, and it's going to be awesome, okay? So uh, I want to ask you something about that. So we say we're family, right? And so one of the the benefits, the beauty of family is you get to be real, right? At home, you let your hair down. You don't have to put on any airs. You can just tell it like it really is, okay? So before we have our discussion time, let's have a little, a little real-time family talk, okay? So I just want you to be honest. You don't have to show up hands, but just in your own mind, uh, testify to yourself. When you heard me say we were going to do three days of praying fasting, who was excited about that? Okay, there are a few hands here. God bless you. There were a few people excited about that. Uh, I figured there's going to be a variety of responses. I anticipated a variety of uh, responses when I said we're going to, as a church, fast and pray. Okay, so I figured there's somebody here, and I'll give you a chance to answer one more time. Somebody heard me say uh, we're going to fast and pray, and you thought, praise the Lord. I've been waiting all year for this. What's been taking y'all so long? Okay, so who, who thought that? Okay, one or two hands, okay. And I figured somebody thought, oh, my Lord, is it that time again? <laughs> Who thought that? Okay, somebody's not telling the truth because i only seen a few hands raised. And, and maybe somebody thought, Lord, Lord, what in the world is that? Okay, maybe some, did some of y'all think that? Okay, the rest of y'all aren't even telling the truth. Y'all aren't participating, okay? So, okay, all right. Anyway, so I figured... I'll be honest about me. Uh, I love Jimmy and Lars Seibert. I love the greatest leaders I ever served under. And, but from time to time, when he'll say we're going to have three days of praying and fasting, I honestly, I do have a little bit of a sinking feeling that I kind of feel. Um, however, I have truly come to love and appreciate fasting. So I'm not always excited to get into it. But once we're there, I always think, I'm so glad Jimmy led us to do this because I always experience God in a deeper way. Now, I got to that place of appreciation actually by overcoming the trauma I experienced over the first time I did a corporate praying fast. Okay, now it didn't happen here at Antioch. I was the college minister at another church before I came here. And so uh, our college ministry was going to take a mission trip to Mexico. 
And so I got this great idea to do a prayer and fast campaign. So we fasted for 30 hours and we had people to, we fasted to get our hearts right. And then we had people sponsor us to help us raise money. So we got paid to fast, isn't that great? And so we get the whole college group together. We do 30 hours. We're all together. We go up to the church. We spend these 30 hours together. Now, I noticed, you know, for, uh, for college students, the 30 hours, they seemed a little subdued. They were kind of quiet and to themselves. And I thought, man, looking back on that, I thought, this is either a terrible idea or they're really getting touched by God. And what I ended up finding out later is they had had a party the night before and alcohol got served. So they came a little bit full of the old wine instead of full of new wine uh, at our prayer fast. But, but I got over that. And so now I appreciate uh, praying and fasting. OK, so for those of you that said, praise the Lord, I've been waiting on that. The two or three of y'all have a blast these next three days. OK. For the rest of us that said, oh, my Lord, you didn't show your hand, but I figure you're thinking that the, the oh, my Lord people, we probably need to take just a few minutes to talk about what is this and why are we doing it? OK, so let me give a few minutes here just for a little bit of explanation. OK, so fasting is primarily abstaining from food to seek the face of God. We are primarily abstaining from food to seek the face of God. OK, so now I get it that the idea of drinking only water for the next 72 hours does not have nobody's uh, taste gums salivating, okay? I, I get it, I get it, okay. However, I would think, and I, maybe you can respond, I would think that everybody, or maybe everybody, close to all of us here, if not all of us, would delight with the idea of getting more of God. Who, who would like a little bit more of God in their life? Okay, now, okay, I figure somebody wants to have that. I, I figure that, you know, there's this song, Just a Closer Walk with Jesus. I mean, whether you sing it out, everybody ought to be able to sing that song, right? I mean, like, more of the Holy Spirit ain't gonna hurt nobody. So y'all, come on, y'all, we can do this, okay? Now, I said primarily abstaining from food. And the reason I said that was because historically, uh, fasting was exclusively food, okay? If you look in the scriptures, you see many, many characters, uh, biblical characters who fasted. Moses, uh, when he went to Mount Sinai, went 40 days, no food, okay? And therefore, out of the result of that came the Ten Commandments. We saw King David uh, when he sinned with Bathsheba and she became pregnant. The child became ill and was about to die and David fasted. I mean, matter of fact, he fasted so long they had to make him eat uh, because he was seeking God. The child did eventually die, uh, but he sought the Lord. He sought God's breakthrough through fasting. Uh, Queen Esther, if you know that story, uh, she was married to the king of Persia. And through a political alliance, uh, uh, some, some people concocted what we would call a biblical genocide. They tried to wipe out an entire nation of people. And so Esther uh, put her life on the line, uh, put her neck out on the limb to rescue her people. And before she did that, her and her maidens, they fasted. They sought the Lord and God worked uh, through and, and prevailed and saved this people. And in just a little bit, we're going to read a story about our Lord Jesus and how he fasted and what God did uh, through that. And so basically, uh, if we want to see more of God in our life, he has given us this beautiful opportunity to seek uh, his face 
uh, through uh, fasting, okay? Now, that's just a little basic information about fasting. But if you're needing some more, uh, if this will be your first time, if you're needing some more inspiration, we have a prayer guide we want to engage you uh, with. Okay, so there's going to be a QR code. It's going to come up there. It's going to be a little marker that will take you uh, to a prayer guide that gives you details about the fast and ways to fast and ways to do that safely. Uh, that's on our church website if you can't access that code. But we want you to be fully ready and fully equipped on fasting for these next uh, 72 hours, okay? And uh, we're going to conclude that uh, time of prayer and fasting with a rally right here on Wednesday night, November 8th, 6.30 p.m., right here in the auditorium. Uh, we're going to have a time of worshiping Jesus, hearing testimonies about what God did through the fast, and I have a feeling a bunch of us that we might not be excited today. We're going to be really excited on Wednesday when we testify and then be free to go eat some more food, okay? Here we go. So that is what... But why are we doing this? What is the reason behind this? What is the method uh, to the madness here? Okay, uh, if I could survey, and uh, if I, I know, and I actually I started to survey. I started to do a survey about this because I want to see who's excited, who's not excited uh, about this. But I decided not to because I figured, you know, all that's probably going to really prove is make it official that Jimmy's the only one in the church that really wants to do this. Okay, so. <laughs> Don't want to discourage my boss, so I just, let's, let's, let's forego that, okay? But if I were to survey us, I suspect there are a lot of needs uh, in this auditorium. There are a lot of people who want something from the Lord. There are a lot of people who are seeking God, believing God, wanting God for some kind of breakthrough in their life. Is that true? Okay, so there are a variety of needs. There are a variety of motivations for fasting, and what I want to do right now is give you a common outcome uh, for seeking God, taking time to pray and to fast, and that is divine insight. Or maybe you might say it this way, divine eyesight. You see, God is giving us this opportunity to fast because he wants to show you and I something. He wants to reveal more of himself to us. You see, we can look at three days of fasting and consider that like some big inconvenience to us. But actually, it's a bigger invitation to us. God is blessing us. God has given us the unique privilege of taking three days to set aside, to seek his face, to focus on him so that he can show us more of himself so that we experience more of him, so that his light comes into our personal lives, his light can come more greatly in our families, his light can shine greater in our church, in our city, and he can show us all the things he's wanting to do corporately, individually, and in our world. It's a beautiful opportunity that God is giving us. And so if you want to see God, you want to take advantage of this opportunity, let's lean in, let's embrace these three days that he's brought to us. Now, I said, God invites us to fast because he wants to show us something. So I want to give you an example of how God shows something in our family, okay? So Tanya and I came to Antioch in 2005. It's 18 years ago. And so uh, we had spent 15 years at another church. And so uh, it was a big transition for us to come. We had built relationship. I had served as an elder at this other church. I had served as a pastor there. And so it was a big transition for us to come here. Now, I'm a very task-oriented person, if you know me, and so I just put my head down and got involved in my work, and so that made my transition smoother for me. 
Okay? Now, my wife Tanya, she's given me permission to share her story. Uh, the transition was a little tougher for her and a little tougher for my kids. And so she remembered in those early years kind of struggling being here. It was a little bit harder to be here for her. And also specifically, one of the ministries that I was overseeing was a little bit of a challenge for her. One of the areas that I initially oversaw was what we call the community feast. So we used to have on Friday nights, then it moved to Thursday nights, a, a, a worship service and a meal for people here in the neighborhood, for the homeless, anybody in need, they would come here. And we would see a lot of folks come and we would see a lot of people from some very tough, rough places in life would come and be here. And so Tanya recalled uh, being a, having a little trouble sometimes relating to some of those people. So she's struggling to be here at Antioch. She's struggling with kind of the ministry that I'm leading. And so she sought the Lord in prayer. My wife is a very godly woman, and she disciples our family in hearing and responding to God. Many of the things I have learned, I have actually learned from God through Tanya. And so she's seeking God, and she's asking him, why am I struggling here? Why is it a challenge to be here? And he speaks to her, and he tells her, you have addictions like the people have addictions. Okay. Now, that seemed a little odd to her at first because, you know, like I said, some of the people that came to the community feet specifically uh, through their behaviors and what it seemed pretty obvious, they had some very obvious addictions to certain things. Okay. And Tanya didn't have those same addictions. But as God was speaking to her, he brought a certain situation to her mind. And what he brought was her relationship to food, specifically certain snack foods that she liked that she often overindulged in. And she had this pattern and this habit where she would kind of take those things and hide them in the house and hide them from the kids. And I, now, we had been married about 15 years at this point, and I didn't even know this was going on. Okay? And so God showed her. So she's like, oh, I've got a, an addiction in my life. I've got a struggle area in my life. And so as she's having this conversation with God, he then says, now I need you to fast and pray into that area. And so Tanya then proceeded to go into a very long extended fast where she began to pray into this area of her life. And two things came out of that fast. The first one was uh, related to a specific person that would come to the community feast. Years ago, there was a gentleman named Robert. He would come to the feast pretty regularly. Robert uh, had, I'm pretty sure, had some type of mental disability. You could tell just by engaging with him. Uh, he wasn't homeless, but he looked that way. Very disheveled in his clothes, hair very disheveled, uh, looked and smelled like he didn't bathe regularly. And one of the things that was most distinguishing about Robert was he never spoke. He would always just mumble. You could hear him just... So he was trying to verbalize something, but he never spoke to us. And so a lot of the people like that that came, Tanya Tiffany kept her distance from them. But as she's fasting, she's getting near the end of this fast... And she feels like God, uh, one Friday night at the feast, God prompts her to reach out to him. So she approaches him, asks to pray for him. He, he didn't acknowledge. He just kind of grumbled like he always grumbled. But she lays her hands on him. It's the first time she's touched some of the folks that, that come there. And she prays over him. And he turns around and speaks to her. He starts telling her where he's from and telling her about his family. And, and I still see Robert to this day. That's many, many years ago. I still see him, and most of the time he does not talk. But when he sees Tanya, you can tell he acknowledges her presence because she connected with him and he connected with her. Another thing that came out of it is that, 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 uh, that, it, that habit she had of indulging, and it, it, God totally delivered her from that. 
And so basically, God caused her to focus on him, to seek his face, and he showed her more of himself. And so God is calling us to take three days to focus on him, to turn our attention to him, to set our eyes on him because he wants to show us more of himself. He wants to bring breakthrough in various areas of our lives. But now our response is to, hey, will I turn to him? Will I give him these uh, three days? Now, to help us do this, let's look at Jesus. Jesus also fasted and prayed. He turned his face to his heavenly father. And so let's look at an example from scripture of Jesus doing that. We're going to read uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And it says here in verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, and it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished uh, every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus is taking time to focus on his heavenly father. He is putting his eyes, he is putting his attention, he is seeking the heavenly father. But the devil is coming to distract him, to pull his attention away from his father, to pull his attention onto something else so that the fullness of God is not revealed to him. God has invited us to take three days to look at him, to focus on him, and not be distracted by anything in the world. Okay, so I want to talk to us about what does that look like? What do we focus on? How do we focus this fast on Jesus and our Heavenly Father? Okay, let's stay with our passage here. Verse 3 is kind of the first start of that. It says here that the devil uh, told him to make the stone into bread. It said Jesus got hungry. He had a need. Okay, so the first part of our focus is to focus on the provision of God and not our need. We, We all have needs. We talked about that a minute ago, but the enemy wants to use our need to get our focus off of God, to get our focus off of Jesus. Now, this little story Uh, of Jesus and the way he dealt with the enemy, it's got good news in it and it's got bad news in it. Okay, let's do the bad news first. First of all, the bad news is Jesus was led to the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, by the way, and he was tested by the devil. Now, since we're all followers of Jesus, we're all who all follow Jesus in here. Well, we're followers of Jesus. 
We, therefore, are going to be led into wilderness experiences and be tested. Aren't you glad you came to church today? But there's good news. The good news is, though the devil tried to distract him, Jesus did not allow the enemy to distract him from his heavenly father, and we don't either. Therefore, the things that plague us, the things that challenge us, don't have to hinder us. They don't have to keep us from experiencing more of God. So you got three days in front of you that you can get as much of God as you want to get, and Satan can't do nothing about it. That's good news, right? Amen. I suspect that some of you here are probably in your own relational wilderness. Some of you in your relationship feels like a wilderness. Some of you are in what I would call an emotional desert. Mentally, emotionally, psychologically, there's, there's painful things going on in your life. Maybe some of you are facing a medical storm or a health storm of some kind or some kind of other adversity. Or maybe you're here and you're going through what I call comfortable complacency. You don't have any big challenges, no, no big obstacles in your way, but your focus is not on Jesus as much as it has been. And so maybe you're at a place of complacency. So whether you're in a desert, a wilderness, a, a storm, or you're just feeling kind of blase blah, this is the perfect time to have a fast, ain't it? I mean, the timing could not be better. Wherever you're at, you got an opportunity to seek God like never before. Ain't God good? Ain't he gracious to us? So the question ain't about fasting. The question is, what will be the focus of the fast? Are you going to focus on uh, the problems in your life? Or will you focus on the problem solver? Will, will you give your attention to all the circumstances in your life, all the challenges, everything bad that's going on, or will you give your attention to the creator? Will you focus and will you dwell on some painful person in your life, or will you dwell on the Prince of Peace? That is the question that is before us. So as we fast, God is wanting us to put our focus on him. And the way we do that is we look at his provision in our lives. That means we don't pray about what we need and what we want. We thank him for what he has provided. We thank him that he has been good. We declare that he is our wisdom. He is our father. He is good to us. We declare that he has loved us when we were faithful and when we were faithless. We declare all the good things that he has done for us. And this allows us to see him more clearly. And it's a blessing that he's given us an opportunity to set aside time and space and place in our life to do that. Focus on God's provision, not on our need, okay? The second focus, the second thing we need to focus on is letting him be in control instead of us being in control, okay? Look back at verse 6 and 7. Uh, Satan also has a focus. We're trying to focus on God. Satan's got a focus, and Satan's focus is half-truths, okay? He masters in half-truths. Not, not complete uh, lies, but just half-truths, which ultimately become a lie, okay? So look what he tells Jesus. He says, hey, I got all this power. I got all this authority. I got all these kingdoms. I'll give it to you, okay? Now, that's a half-truth. I mean, uh, the scripture says, Ephesians 2, we studied that earlier this year, it calls Satan the prince of the air, okay? Which means he has some power. 
He has some influence. But Psalms 24 says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and everything in it. So how is Satan going to give Jesus what he already has? Okay, but Jesus was aware he didn't allow the enemy to distract him with something that wasn't even real. Okay, so the enemy's goal is to distract all of us. Who would like to have some intel on Satan's strategy? Okay, if you don't want to know, that's not wise of you. Okay, I'll say it, I'll say it nicely. Let me give you some intel here. Satan has a deception. He's got a distraction, and this is it. Let me clue in, lean into this. The distraction is that your life and the world is out of control. Now, let's family time, let's be real. Who, who thinks the world's out of control? Who thinks your life, your family's out of control? I want to submit to you that that's a half-truth. That's a distraction. That's a deception of the enemy uh, that the world is out of control. We just said the earth belongs to God and everything in it. We just said that God is in control of the world. Now, we think that the enemy submits that thought to us because we've been culturally, culturally trained. The way we solve problems is to take control. Your life's out of control. We're out of, go do something about it. Go grab, go grab the bull by the horns. Do something about it. But the reality is the actual truth is just the opposite. The way you solve problems is, is that you release control. I'm going to ask you to be real honest and truthful and do it. let's all be adults in here and, and just acknowledge to ourselves. Don't, don't, don't elbow your spouse right now. Just acknowledge to yourself your real problem is you being in control. Let me, I'll say it about me, my, my problem, I, I can blame the government, I can blame other people, I could blame millennials, I, I, could, I could come up with somebody to, I could, I could put the problems off on somebody. But the real problem with Vincent is me being in control. And that happens because the devil tempts us that it's out of control, so it makes me want to grab something, but the reality is I need to release control. God taught Tanya and I how to one area of releasing control years ago, and we started doing this thing many, many years ago called Palms Up Praying. When we would have disagreements in our marriage, when we're fighting for control, God taught us to pray and just do this. This little simple action was a prophetic act of surrender. Doesn't matter who wins the argument. Doesn't matter if she's right and I'm wrong or I'm wrong and she's right. We, we release it. And I can honestly say, if not 100 percent, 99 point something, we got breakthrough every time we pray palms up. OK, so what I want us to do, I want us to, to do some palms up. OK, so again, as we did earlier, if you you can just close you close your eyes if you'd like to. Close your eyes and you don't have to, but I just want you to imagine your your challenges, maybe something that you're distracted with, something uh, some wilderness situation for you, some desert situation for you. And I just want you to release it. About 20 seconds, let's just sit in silence. Release your desert, your wilderness. Father, we thank you that you are faithful, that you're in control, that you solve every problem, 
that you deal with every circumstance, that you calm every storm. And so we trust you with our lives. We, we give you our lives. We surrender control to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So God wants us to focus, focus on his provision. He is providing. He will provide for us. He's wanting us to surrender control. The worst thing we can do with our lives is get in control of it. Okay. The best thing we can do is surrender control of it to him. And one last thought is we want to focus on God's faithfulness. Okay. Now, what do I mean by that? We want to focus on faithfulness and not comfort. Okay, so let's go back to the passage uh, here. Uh, Jesus, uh, the devil comes to Jesus a third time, takes him to this high pinnacle, says, throw yourself down and, 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 and let the angels come rescue you. Okay. Uh, one of the ways he tries to deceive us is, is through comfort. We, we all want to, I'm, I'm preaching to myself, we all want to be safe. We all want to be protected. We all want to have comfortable lives. We don't want to be in danger. And so that's, it's a temptation of the enemy because really the reality is our God is faithful. Even if we're in the face of danger, we're still safe. But the enemy would love us to think we're not safe. He'd love to think we're not protected. He'd love to make us think we need to distance ourselves from people and situations because they're, they're, you know, something may happen. But it's another one of his deceptions. It's another one of his distractions. And I, and I call this one uh, danger. The enemy loves to distract us with danger. We, we think that certain things, certain places, certain people, certain situations, we, we think that there certain things are so dangerous, Okay. And what happens is that that creates fear in us. Everywhere you go, anywhere you turn, there's always an opportunity to be fearful. There's always something or someone that we could be afraid of. Fearful of lack, fearful of sickness, fearful of personal or worldwide conflict. There's always an opportunity for us to be afraid. There's always a chance for us to see something or somebody as dangerous. And the enemy loves that because that will get us not to focus on God. We turn our attention from him and we get to focusing on this dangerous situation or this dangerous person. But the reality is, the truth is, we serve a faithful God. We sang about that earlier today. God is faithful. He is always present. He says, I never leave you. I don't forsake you. If you look at all the biblical characters, we talked about uh, earlier Moses, and we talked about David, and we talked about Esther. All these people and more all face dangerous situations. If you know those stories, each one of them and many more in the scriptures faced a life-threatening situation, but did not God come through and deliver them? If you think about your own life from the time as far back as you can remember until this very day, you have faced dangerous situations. You have felt difficult situations. You have faced seemingly impossible odds. And has not God been faithful to you again and again and again? Who can give testimony to God is faithful? So though the enemy tempts us to be fearful, he tempts us to get worried about danger, Really, there's nothing to be afraid of. There's no danger that God can't deliver us from because he continually demonstrates his faithfulness. 
And though he's already done enough through bringing Jesus, he keeps demonstrating more faithfulness again and again and again. He never stops, which gives us a place to now focus on him and not focus on danger in our lives. I have mentioned many times uh, in preaching that fear has been a big part of my life. It's been something that I have been seeking God to deal with. And a lot of that emanated from my relationship with my father. Uh, my father's gone to be with Jesus now, but uh, growing up, he had a very violent temper and had sometimes very violent behaviors. And so I grew up really, really afraid of him. Okay, and so that then led to fear being a big part of my life and fear spilling over into a lot of areas of my uh, personal journey. But uh, through prayer, I sought God all of my life, have sought and continue to seek God for breakthrough and freedom with that. And one particular time in prayer, the Lord told me that you need to go to your dad and repent for being afraid of him. Now, I thought that was strange. Like, shouldn't he repent to me? I mean, he was, you know, but, but that goes back to who's in control. Do I know how to fix my life or does God know how to fix my life? Okay, so it didn't make sense to me, but I knew it was God. So I, by his grace, I was obedient to what he said. So I go to my dad and then I share with him that I struggle being afraid of him and, and I repent of my fear. And when I do that, he shocks me by saying that he struggles with fear. I thought he struggled with anger. I thought he struggled with violence. But I manifest fear through passive behavior. He manifests fear through aggressive behavior. So God brought revelation. God showed us something about ourselves and about our relationship. And so we shared with each other and we prayed with each other and we held and embraced each other in a place of intimacy that he and I had never shared before. And this happened about a year uh, before he passed away. And so God demonstrated again in the face of fear, in the place of danger, once again, he demonstrates his faithfulness. God has invited us. He's not obligating us. He has invited us into this opportunity of fasting and prayer. We can see it as an an inconvenience or we can see it as an invitation, an invitation for him to show us more of himself to reveal his purpose in our family, to reveal how he is in control and taking care of this world that we live in. And so now we have the opportunity to do, we want to respond to his invitation. Let's let's stand together. I want to invite our prayer teams to come down to the front. And so I want to give you a, a couple of opportunities here. We've talked about, uh, focusing on God, not focusing on need and control, these other things. And, and maybe you're here today and, and one of those resonates with you. Maybe you are locked in, you're focused, you're distracted by some lack in your life. And, or maybe uh, you are, are distracted or focused on trying to control a situation. You're, you're worried about somebody. You're worried about the world we live in. Maybe, maybe you have dangerous situations going on and that's got you your focus off of God. And if that's you today, what I want you to do is I want you to, to focus today. And the way you focus, the way you demonstrate that is you turn in the aisle and come to the altar. You, you, you don't walk out with it. You don't keep holding it. That, that keeps you distracted. That keeps you locked in to the dangerous situation or the whatever it is. 
but want to invite you to come down the aisle and come to the person and say, this is my distraction. This is what gets me off focus with Jesus. Or maybe you're here and, and all this focusing on Jesus, it doesn't even make sense to you. It's like, well, I don't even, I, I, it's not resonating with you. And, and that may be because you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You, you can't surrender your life to Jesus until you, so you enter into a relationship with him. And so if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never asked him to be your savior, if you've never asked him to be your Lord, this is your opportunity today. And so maybe that's your opportunity to come and say, I want to start a relationship with Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're here today and, and, and I haven't even touched on anything you came to church with today. But it doesn't matter. God knows. He's in control of your life. He knows exactly where you're at. He sees where you're sitting. And if you'll step out and come to this altar or up on the landing, there's also folks up there with the little green tags. They would like to pray with you. They would like to help you to begin this process of seeing God. We have three beautiful days before us as a church family. Let's individually and collectively focus on him and see him move in our lives, in our families, in this church, and in our nation. And whatever your need is, whatever will help you with that process, we want to take some time right now to pray for you. So if you would, please come.